Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at GodSolutionShow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm so excited to be back in the studio with you. I've been traveling this past week and had a great time down in Austin, Texas. While we were there, I had the incredible privilege of working with Ari Halbin a little bit. Ari is a missionary or a minister to the Jewish people who came out of a Jewish context himself and found Christ and is now reaching out to people that come from Jewish backgrounds. Now, on this show, we talk a lot about apologetics, and we've talked a lot about reaching out to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and Muslims and many others. We've spent an inordinate amount of time talking about how to reach out to atheists and people like that, skeptics. I think it's important to be well-versed in the evidence and all that, and we need to grow in the area of apologetics so that we can be effective at working through objections that others might have that we reach during evangelism. That being said, I've never done a show on how to reach out to Jewish people. Uh, We're going to learn today how we can be better at helping Jewish people find Jesus. So without any further ado, I'm excited to introduce Ari Halbin. Ari, welcome to the God Solution Show. Excellent. Thank you, Nate. It's wonderful to be able to be here. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about you. How did you come to know Jesus? I grew up in a, um, actually a really loving Jewish family. Uh, parents, grandparents, everybody in my family uh, Jewish. Uh, but I grew up more what's called Reformed Jewish, which is really more liberal Jewish. The congregation I went to, or the, the rabbi, um, didn't necessarily believe that the scriptures were really the Word of God. We more believed that they were great writings of my relatives, right, from a long time ago, um, the ancestors who gave us good morals and values and ethics that stood the test of time. So I was involved in a lot of different Jewish youth groups and uh, bar mitzvah and um, worked at Jewish summer camps and Jewish fraternities and all these things. But to be honest with you, I don't really know if at any time I really definitely knew whether God was real. And that's kind of how I lived my life for a handful of years, and then God started to really put a ton of different believers and situations in my life. Another friend of mine got saved about five months before I did, and he gave me the book More Than a Carpenter. It actually is taking C.S. Lewis's kind of argument of whether Jesus really is who he says he is, which would make him Lord, or he's a liar or a lunatic. When you look at some claim like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except by me, I mean, that's either true, it's just nutty. And so Joshua Dow presented that material in a very unique way, and I read the book, and I was very much challenged by it. Um, Now, I didn't get saved from that, but what it did is it helped me to realize that who I thought Yeshua was, Yeshua meaning just the Hebrew way of saying Jesus, who I thought he was, and kind of the box I put him in, which was uh, probably some good guy, maybe had some good teachings, but just not God, I realized after reading that book that it was intellectually dishonest for me to stay in that spot. That is part of the power of apologetics, in a sense. Now, this is very critical. 
I never read word one of the New Testament prior to this. Because part of our Jewish identity, even though I grew up more liberal Jewish, part of our identity is that we see ourselves as survivors. And survivors of Christian persecution in terms of as we look at things historically. And because of that, I literally thought, sadly, but I literally thought that it had to say somewhere in the New Testament something like, let's go to Canaan to get the Jews. Because I looked at persecution history. And what we do as Jewish people is we make decisions about the truth claims of Jesus, not really basic on, on, based on what he said, or based on what the scriptures might really say, but we put a line in the sand and we look at history. And we say, well, if there's been this kind of persecution history, then obviously it must not be for us. And, um, and so I ended up um, getting challenged. I went to a Bible study, and they recommended me there to read the book of Luke. And one day I went out, and I, uh, and I started reading. And it starts off with, uh, <laughs> simply put, uh, the story about the... Uh, John the Baptist's father, who was a priest in the temple. and and um, But to me, when I realized, okay, this is starting off with a, with, with a Jewish context, a Jewish story about this honored um, priest who was able to go, uh, you know, into the temple, into a certain part and burn incense, and uh, just a revered position. And when I realized that it was his son, who's John the Baptist, it floored me. Because I'm thinking this phrase or this name or person, John the Baptist, was so Christianese or just not Jewish. And I realized that actually that's not the case. And then in Luke 2, it talks about, um, obviously, the, the birth story of the Messiah. And then it talks about how on the eighth day, as was custom, according to the law of Moses, that his parents had him circumcised. And then they went to the temple and they gave, they did offerings, what's called the, the, the redeeming of the firstborn. It's why when they brought him into the temple, that you had Simeon and Anna the, the, basically declare, declaring prophecies um, over him in, in the temple because the parents were doing this. And then it continues on saying that every year that they went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And I'm reading this, and I, and I just was stunned by the Jewishness of the story and of the person. And then in Luke 3, actually, it goes into the genealogy. And, and really what ended up happening is um, I just started crying out to God, because in Luke there are so many places where he refers back to different messianic prophecies, parts in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, that speak of the Messiah, which I had never read before. And I started to look through and go into Isaiah, and, and, and I was stunned, and I just started crying out. And then later that night, I remember after um, just crying out to the Lord and getting saved, my first prayer, actually, to Him was, um, it actually was just one sentence, and I said, God, I am sorry, because I have hated your name. Mm. And then, it actually took me, I prayed every day for about a month or so to make it easier just to say His name even though he was my, my Savior and, and, and my King and my God. And, um, but that's part, a little bit, of, of some of the um, kind of the nuances or objections mm-hmm. that we can even possibly <laughs> talk about a little more that's, that a Jewish person might have to go through. But that's part of my story. That was April 6th, 1997. Wow. And simply put, since then, I've had the opportunity to 
connect and work with um, some different ministries and actually worked at a university for over 10 years. And, um, but, uh, but God um, has put the heart cry um, on my heart to be able to want to see you know, my people basically recognize um, and receive the miracle of forgiveness of sins. Amen. So coming from a Jewish background, what do you see in the Old Testament concerning Jesus? You referred to that. You talked about how in Luke there are all these references back to Old Testament prophecy and things like that. Uh, I know that uh, when we spoke, you talked about some of the feast days as well. What are some of those issues that you see in the Old Testament that really were found in Jesus? Uh, sure, yeah, we can actually even cover this in kind of two main ways, even though there's probably 200 different ways of you know, right, being yeah. able to see, you know, Yeshua Jesus in the Old Testament, because he is, right, he, he's the reason for the season. He's, he is, uh, you know, the, the purpose of, uh, of of everything. So, but looking at the different um, uh, biblical holidays or the feast days, uh, just to, to begin, it is fantastic to be able to see God's redemption story that he has laid out through the feast days. And, um, you know, a lot of times people will, will use maybe the phrase, uh, you know, the Yeshua Jesus is the reason for the season when it relates to Christmas. But if we look at the different feast days that he lays out in Leviticus 23, and I know a lot of times people call these the, the, the Jewish holidays, I'm just going to probably call them the biblical holidays. But you have the, the Sabbath, and then more or less you have three main feast days in the spring and three in the fall. And what they really do is they point to God's redemption story. So the first of those three in the spring is the Passover. Now that's probably the easiest one for, for believers right. to relate to. You know, why do we even call him the Lamb of God? Because he is the Passover Lamb, right? He is the sacrifice. And and, and this is critically important because it's not just that um, he is the sacrifice in terms of um, playing the role just like the lamb did, where they killed the lamb and took the blood of the lamb, put it over the doorpost of the house. And that when God, when the Spirit of God came, um, he then passed over the house if he saw the sacrifice. It wasn't that that was only happening for the Jewish people, because... This is theologically important and important for apologetics. God was not coming to save the Jewish people or the Israelites at that time just because they were Israelites. He was only going to save those who put their trust and faith in the method God provided for atonement, sacrifice, and freedom. So if there was a Jewish family that did not actually um, sacrifice a lamb, and put the blood over the doorpost, their firstborn was going to be killed. Because there was going to be death in every house, either a person or a substitute. But if there was an Egyptian family that said, yes, we're going to put our lot in with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then their firstborn was going to be saved if they put the blood over their doorpost. This is very important. It's just like when we think of the two thieves on the cross. We don't know anything about these two thieves and their background, except for the fact they were both thieves, were both cursing Jesus. But we know one of them turned and trusted. One of them basically had a faith and repentance experience in the method God provided. 
Now, we don't know anything else about their background. Maybe one not only just stole, but was a murderer. Who knows? All we know is who was going to trust in the method God provided. So when we see Jesus being the Lamb, he, he didn't die on any random day. He died on that day to be the fulfillment of it. You know, he didn't rise from the dead on any random day. He rose from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. And this is laid out in Leviticus chapter 23. So it's the day after the Sabbath during the Passover week. Now, the Sabbath day um, biblically was uh, Friday night to Saturday night. So the day after would be Sunday. And so he didn't rise from the dead on any random day. He rose from the dead on this Feast of First Fruits. Actually, Corinthians talked about how he's the first fruits among all men. And then the Holy Spirit didn't come on any random day. Because we have Pentecost, Pentecost for 50, and many times that's taught that there's 50 days between when Jesus rose from the dead to the day when the Holy Spirit came. Now those 50 days, actually, the counting of that is told us back in the Torah, the first five books. Because from that first fruit holiday, you count off 50 days to get to another holiday. And so all of this is to say, that he didn't die on any random day, he didn't rise from the dead on any random day, and the Holy Spirit didn't come on any random day. These things are in fulfillment. And so when we look at these feasts plus all the others, there's such a richness of being able to see how he is the fulfillment. And um, and this really shows us part of God and the redemption story. And so with Jewish people, when a Christian... Um, when I say that, I'm talking about a, a, a Gentile Christian, someone who's not Jewish. When they can be able to share or understand or even in little bits explain that what they believe has this Jewish heritage context, it can really make a difference in making a connection with a Jewish person. That's really exciting. Now, you know, in the past there have been a few times where I've read through Isaiah 53 with a Jewish person that I met in evangelism, and just ask them, who do you think that's talking about? And a few times they've been kind of surprised. Tell me about Isaiah 53 and the whole issue of uh, Messianic prophecy. Sure, sure. So Messianic prophecy is critical, because there are so many different ways that God has actually laid it out. But it's in piece by piece. So sometimes you can see one scripture that talks about... um, a virgin birth, and another scripture that talks about where the new covenant is going to happen. That's in Jeremiah chapter 31. Another scripture that talks about how uh, the Messiah will be born in, in Bethlehem of Frogger. That's in the book of Micah. And some of these are in pieces. But Isaiah 53 is the clearest picture of what we would see as the role and person of Messiah. It's about the suffering servant. And This is probably the number one Messianic prophecy. This is written over 700 years before Jesus is even born. And it is, even today, the piece of Scripture that has probably changed the Jewish heart more than other different Messianic prophecies. It is a very clear picture. Um, All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It talks about the arm of the Lord, and this whole passage is revealing who this arm of the Lord is. Many times when, um, 
when Jewish people kind of read this, they uh, they think it's from the New Testament. If you didn't tell them <laughs> that it was from the old, <laughs> that it's from the Hebrew Scriptures, because it has such a a picture of who of who uh, Jesus is and what he did. Now, here's the problem as it relates to this particular passage. Now, for the most part in Jewish history, um, up to about the year 1100, for the most part, this passage was understood of a person, an individual person, who would take on the sin for the nation. But then, starting in the time of the Crusades, it became popular to actually interpret it differently amongst the Jewish people. And it was interpreted that this is actually the nation of Israel that suffers on behalf of the rest of the nations. So this suffering servant, or this arm of the Lord, ends up being uh, the one to take the punishment for another. We know that it's really the Messiah doing it for us. But it's deemed that this is the nation of Israel doing it for the sins of other nations. Now, this is how it's been taught and how it is popularly understood today within Judaism, within traditional Judaism. There's a couple different ways to go ahead and to combat that. Um, For example, it says, Isaiah says, for the transgression of my people, he was stricken. It's part of the chapter. This basically means for the transgressions of his people, who are his people, Israel. He, meaning someone else, was stricken. And so if you have a substitution, you can't say Israel was stricken for Israel. But for me, the biggest apologetics way to go about this is Isaiah 59, for those that are listening. Isaiah 59 also talks about the arm of the Lord. And in this passage, it details about 15 verses of all the sins, unfortunately, of my people in history, of, of Israel. And then it says, the Lord looked, and he saw that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation. So his own arm goes to save Israel from their sins. So if we match that, talking about the arm of the Lord, with Isaiah 53, the arm of the Lord, clearly it is the arm saving Israel. And in Isaiah 53, it actually says that he, meaning the servant, had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Well, clearly we see that that was not the situation of Israel, where they had done violence and deceit at different times. And it's the arm that saved them from it. So that's a way, apologetically, <laughs> apologetically, to kind of explain that this is about a person. And Isaiah 53 is um, something I recommend everyone who's listening to read um, to digest and really to just thank God as they read this for the miracle of forgiveness of sins and the fact that he actually brings a um, uh, a suffering servant on our behalf. And so even if it's just on a personal faith-building level, I encourage people to read it. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution, and you can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Well, we need to uh, kind of keep focused on our time here, so I want to uh, ask Ari 
one more question, and that is, what are two or three key strategies for reaching out to Jewish friends that you'd suggest? Absolutely. So, so here's the, the real, where the rubber hits the road kind of a comment. All of these things about Scripture, about Messianic prophecies, about him being the fulfillment of different holidays, these are great when we get a chance or get permission from a Jewish person to maybe share a little bit more. And they're great faith builders for us as believers. But to be honest with you, the hard part is for someone to get permission from a Jewish person to share a little bit more about their faith. And so the reason why this is the case is because of this identity that we feel that we are survivors, in a sense, of persecution, or or we put up our guard wondering. Now, we know as believers we have the Great Commission call, (laughs) right? And and we know that... um, in Romans 1.16, it talks about how we're not ashamed of the gospel, the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And we know that in Romans 11, it says um, that uh, one of the blessings for, for Gentile Christians is they have a calling to provoke my people to jealousy, to come back to God. But how can that happen? Well, I want to do a little quick little role play. So imagine that you were not a believer. And, and, and I was a Christian, and I wanted to share with you about my God. And I might share with you about the miracle of forgiveness of sin my God provides. Or I might share with you, like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that he saves us by grace. Right? Um, uh, that, that it's a gift of God, not by works. And that he can do this for you. This is what my God does. These are wonderful, basic truths. But the Jewish ear is not really hearing that. Because they're hearing, wait a second, do you want me to somehow divorce myself from who I am? Almost kind of leap out of being in this Jewish circle and kind of come on over to this other side that has a mixed history. That's kind of what the Jewish ear is thinking about, whether it's right or wrong, that's what we're thinking. So now imagine if I find out you're Jewish. What they made, I find out you're Jewish, but you're not a believer, and, and I'm a Christian, and I want to share with you. What if I were to say, oh, Nate, you're Jewish? I just want to let you know how thankful and grateful I am for your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the miracle of forgiveness of sin that your God provided for me, and that, and that your God, the God of Israel, would even do this for me by grace. You know, in spite of me and not by works, and, and I just want you to know, Nate, how, how grateful I am. The same truths but presented in a way that is, is truthful and then also honoring in a Jewish heritage context. That is a way, believe it or not, that Christians can touch and reach the heart of my people, actually, and even in some special ways that I can't. And the hope of that is that then the Jewish person will give a little bit more permission to let you answer or explain why you actually even believe or come from that perspective. Now, I know that sometimes people talk about different terms, like um, using the word Messiah instead of Christ, um, or saying congregation instead of church. And I know some people might say, oh, terms, you know, no one's going to get saved just because you use one term or the other. And that's true. But some people will stop listening to anything more because of a certain term or another. So 
believe it or not, the word Christ is probably the hardest kind of word for a Jewish ear to hear because of the prior history, even if it were talking centuries ago, of using that name. It would, it would be like, um, you know, hearing the name Allah instead of God, you know, for a Christian to, to hear. In fact, it just seems so radically different. And, um, and so in that same way, even using different terms that would be a little bit more Jewish-connected um, just helps that person keep their ear or their heart open to hear a little bit more. And that's when the Christian can then share their testimony um, in, a, in, a, in an effective or appropriate and just honest way. And that really makes a big difference. Well, those are some great tips, and I hope that all of you listening will remember those. When you talk to Jewish friends and neighbors and coworkers and all those different types of people that you might come in contact with, respectfully tell them that you're thankful for their God, and that you cannot believe how, how privileged you are that you could receive forgiveness through their Messiah. Use words like Messiah and congregation to build bridges with them instead of burning them. And uh, ask God to give you opportunities to share your testimony and the gospel. Well, Ari, it's about time to wrap it up here, and uh, we got to close out the show. But I want to tell people to go to chosenpeople.com to find out more about your ministry and I also want to ask you, how can people get involved in your ministry? You're trusting God to grow a team that would help you really reach more and more and more Jewish people for Christ. How can people support you in that work? Sure, absolutely. So I um, have the honor of serving with Chosen People Ministries. Chosen People Ministries is 124 years old. Wow. <laughs> so it's just a longstanding outreach, evangelism, um, education-oriented uh, ministry. And so right now in 17 different countries, and um, I'm one of about 100 different um, uh, just, you know, missionary evangelist staff. And I have the honor of serving in the greater Philadelphia area of where there's a quarter of a million Jewish people just in this kind of hour radius. And, and so I, I get to work with churches and, and do outreach on college campuses and, and follow up in evangelism, discipleship, and so forth. But the mission statement, and this is important, the mission statement of Chosen People Ministries is to pray for, serve, evangelize, and disciple Jewish people, and teach others to do the same. So what I get to do is not only um, do personal one-on-one -on -one outreach and evangelism, but really help to multiply that um, impact and ability by teaching and educating Christians on how to be able to be more effective and appropriate and a little bit more comfortable in sharing their faith. And so that's actually kind of a big part of, of what we do. Now, the website you mentioned is just chosenpeople.com. That's the website for the, the main uh, ministry. My name is Ari. <laughs> my first name is spelled A-R-I. And my last name is spelled H-A-U-B-E. E-N, but it's Alvin. But my email, so anyone that gets in touch with me directly, is ari at chosenpeople.com. Now, I, like you said, am not only connecting with a variety of believers and Christians to be able to help um, uh, do the Great Commission on an um, in-person basis, but also developing you know, a team of 
of uh, ministry partners and supporters to be able to help connect with me and to support prayerfully and financially to be able to do this Great Commission work. If you're interested in wanting to partner in with this particular work to bring the good news to the Jewish people, visit chosenpeople.com, click on the Donate page, and on that page there's a box called Special Designation. That's where you would designate or write my name in, which is spelled A-R-I, and then we can be able to be in partnership and be able to be in touch and do this work together. God bless. All right, thanks so much for coming on today. Oh my gosh, thank you. We wouldn't want you listeners to miss an opportunity to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord if you've never taken that step to trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Uh, I encourage you to do that right now. Uh, Put your faith and trust in him and, and let him know about that. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose again to give me new life here and eternal life in heaven. Please be my Savior and my Lord. Uh, I also ask you to go to godsolutionshow.com to get this interview and all of our past interviews and leave us some feedback while you're there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll tune back in next week. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at godsolutionshow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.